from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like us. They're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. This is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Wednesday, May 13th. Thanks for hanging out this morning. Jam-packed hour. Got an announcement from the Seattle Mariners yesterday. We'll explain that. Some good news. No, I think. It's a time when we all need good news. How did the discussions go yesterday between Major League Baseball and the Players Association? And one topic that was pretty surprisingly not on the table, we'll discuss. Also, Arizona announcing that professional sports can resume without fans beginning this Saturday. But how close is that possibility to actually happening? Also in this hour, Pete Carroll, uh, we're sitting down with Dodgers manager, Dave Roberts to talk about and Steve Kerr on the latest episode of Flying Coach Podcast. We'll dig into some of that sound to discuss multi-sport athletes, how they value those, and also analytics, how they adapt to analytics, incorporating that into their game plan all ahead in this hour right now. Let's get to your headlines. Seattle Mariners announced that several employees working under uniform employee contracts will take a five-month reduction in pay. But because of that, There will be no furloughs or layoffs through October 31st, which is really cool news. The pay reductions of at least 20% are for staff making $60,000 or more. The contract covers employees on the major league coaching staff, coaches and coordinators in the minor league system, scouts and performance coaches. Those with larger salaries are expected to take a cut more significant than 20%. Employees with uniform uh, employee contracts will receive full benefits through October as well. Approximately half of the team's employees working under the contracts will not have any reduction in pay, according to the AP Sports report. The the team had previously told employees working under the contract that they would receive full pay through May 31st in light of the coronavirus pandemic and um, just the future of baseball being unknown at this point. A lot of teams facing that possibility of furloughs or layoffs. But now, because some people are making sacrifices and taking these pay cuts through October 31st, at least no furloughs or layoffs there. So good news on that front and and cool and great that they are working around this time, around this difficult time to make that happen and keep people employed. Meanwhile, Major League Baseball and the MLB Players Association, they met on Tuesday for several hours uh, to begin discussing the potential plan for return to play. How far apart are these two sides, though? The discussion yesterday didn't involve one of the biggest topics of discussion and points of contention, uh, which would be the financial aspect, the economic components pertaining to player compensation, according to the ESPN report. Items addressed uh, include timing, logistics for the second spring training, potential rule changes with the universal DH and the roster sizes, and transaction rules. About a bulk of the meeting also revolved around what the testing protocols would be like for players, including contact tracing and response procedures in case of positive tests. Jeff Passan yesterday uh, was on with 
he was on with me at times first in the morning. He's been everywhere, really. But uh, was on with... Uh, the yeah, Mina Kimes on the daily podcast to talk about how the MLB would react to a positive coronavirus test. The idea of Major League Baseball completely shutting down because of a positive test just is not realistic. If they get the engine going, they're going to keep it going unless something catastrophically bad happens. What they hope to do, I think, is mitigate the spread and hope that it doesn't go inside of a clubhouse and you have 15 players who end up testing positive and having to quarantine then because you want a representative major league team out there. And the idea that a contending team, if it gets hit with a massive case of COVID, is going to put a bunch of minor leaguers out there. I just don't know how realistic that is. And uh, that's a question that a lot of players want answered because they're going to be the ones and the coaches and the training staffs and the managers and the, the people who are going to be there every day. They're going to be the ones who ultimately are at risk here. How about the testing procedures themselves and the availability of tests, their ability to test players, coaches, and all of the necessary staff? MLB and even the Players Association, honestly, have been pretty optimistic that getting the number of tests in place to do this is not going to be problematic by the time they get back. The question is, number one, how often are they going to be testing? And number two, what types of tests are they going to use? Are they going to be the, the rapid, you know, seven to 10 minute responses that people in the White House are getting right now? Or is it going to be more like a, a 24 hour situation where you get tested, everyone on the team gets tested and the swabs get shipped off to a different location? You get results back within 24 hours. The, those are all issues that are high on the players' minds right now. And it's going to be interesting to see what they prioritize. Jeff Passan, uh, we'll hear from, more from him in just a minute, as well as Tim Kirkchen on the, these discussions. But once the health concerns are addressed, the logistical issues of everything, uh, a lot about the discussion will revolve around the financial aspect. The Players Association believed that this was sort of a settled debate back in March. They agreed to, both sides did, a prorated salary structure that would pay players for every game they play this season. The sides also agreed to discuss the economics of a season played without fans in the stands in good faith. Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred has said that about 40% of MLB revenue is tied to the gate. That includes all of those game day revenue streams, concessions, parking, ballpark advertising, suites, programs. Owners approved a plan yesterday that would pay players a percentage of their 2020 salaries. Sorry, on Monday, uh, a plan that would pay players a percentage of their 2020 salaries based on a revenue split, a 50-50 split between players and owners of MLB's revenue from the regular season and postseason. The union, though, views that concept as a salary cap or at least a slippery slope to uh, revenue sharing in the future, which it has said Tony Clark has been pretty vocal that he would never agree to it. But Jeff Passan clarifying yesterday, this is not a salary cap. It's not a salary cap like Tony Clark said. But it is the salary cap's cousin, and it is part of salary cap systems. When you talk about revenue splits, you're talking about the NFL, you're talking about the NBA, you're talking about the NHL. Those are all cap systems. And Major League Baseball, remember, 26 years ago now, the union lost a World Series along with MLB fighting to avoid a salary cap system. 
Also, uh, Tim Kirchin yesterday had some interesting comments about this debate, and uh, he thinks that they could miss a huge opportunity if these two sides aren't able to come to the table on that discussion. This is a really bad look for baseball, and it will be this week, I'm sure, because if we can get through the most difficult issues, quarantine and the virus and the scheduling and restructuring and the DH and everything else, if we can get past all of that and then the two sides can't come together on money, that's going to be a really bad look for baseball, especially when baseball has a chance to seize a great opportunity here and be the only game being played. Um, So that's why this week is so, so important. Jeff Passan also spoke about if MLB players agree to that 50-50 revenue share and that split and what happens if later in the year a second coronavirus uh, hit happens and that causes them to have to stop play or miss out on the playoffs. There's an argument to be made that they could actually make more money with the 50-50 revenue split than they would under the deal that they have right now. But the problem with this screening is that when you go with a 50-50 revenue split, God forbid that a second wave comes and hits and wipes out the playoffs, right? God forbid it hits, period. But if it wipes out the playoffs, that's a billion to a billion and a half dollars right there that just gets sliced off the books. And if you have a 50-50 revenue split and you lose a billion and a half dollars, that's why MLB is doing this to mitigate the risk of the potential for there to be no playoffs. And keeping in mind that it's not the only hurdle that just getting a uh approval from the union is not just the only hurdle that MLB needs to clear before it returns to play. It's not just the fact that they're going to be in these municipalities. It's that they need to get the permission of politicians. They need to get the permission of governors uh, like TJ Quinn from ESPN has reported. Rob Manfred has called all the governors in the states where baseball plays trying to get them to be on board. And something like that is really, really Really difficult to do considering we don't know what the spread of the coronavirus is going to look like. On top of that, when you're playing in home stadiums, as opposed to just one location, like they could have in the Arizona plan or Arizona and Texas and Florida, you're traveling. And when you're traveling, you are exposing yourself. And when you're exposing yourself to potentially catching the virus, again, that goes back to the health and safety issues. Coming up next on The Blitz, Arizona announcing that professional sports can resume this Saturday as early as May 16th uh, without fans in the stands, of course. But what does that actually mean for professional sports and how soon are they to happening uh, in that state? Also, let's take a look at what's going on in the college world because we're hearing different messages from different people. NCAA Mark. Uh, President Mark Emmert, we'll hear from him. Also, how the California school systems and their decisions uh, to remain online could affect and impact everyone else. I'll explain. It's next, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. Welcome back to the Blitz at six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Wednesday, May 13th. Thanks for hanging out this morning. We've been discussing some of the MLB's discussions to return to play. And the MLB owners had that proposal on Monday. 
uh, that could have baseball back uh, as soon as the July 4th weekend and proposed sort of a half season, an 81-game season. We heard about the discussions that took place yesterday between the owners and the Players Association and that they didn't include any of the financial aspects at this time that mostly revolved around the logistics side but also wanted to hear from the player side of it and a player near and dear to our hearts here in Seattle, Nelson Cruz, now playing for the Twins. But he spoke to Mina Kimes as well on the uh, on the daily podcast, and he talked about if he's willing to take pay cuts to play again. Would you be willing to give up a portion of your salary if it ensured that baseball would be played this season? Well, we have to see how much the portion will be. Every case will be different. Probably if you mention uh, Marlins, Tampa, those teams probably they play most of the baseball games with empty stadium. And I don't see the, the owners complaining about losing money. <laughs> probably Dodgers, Yankees, Houston's the ones that pay a lot of money. They pay was is higher. But every case is different, you know. So we had to really embrace it and see the situation for every one of us. Nelly also asked about if there's a difference in opinion between older and younger players and how they're approaching it. Probably the big name players, the ones that make a lot of money, the ones that be around for a while, they probably will be able to do it. But you talk about young players, the ones that I just start making the career, you know, every dollar is important. You have to look at different ways of this. So it's a big and controversial question because you talk about so many players in so many cases. When the moment comes and the situation will be the right one to do it, we can make the decisions. I always love hearing Nelly's voice. We miss you, Nelson. Arizona Governor Doug Ducey announced yesterday that pro sports, uh, including MLB, the NBA, the NHL, and the NFL, can resume without fans in that state beginning this Saturday, May 16th. State is starting to reopen during the COVID pandemic. And uh, Ducey feeling positive about the way their cases are trending and said he has had discussions with some of the top executives of these pro sports leagues, didn't elaborate on which ones exactly or who might be interested in starting up activities, starting up uh, so many activities, starting up sports in Arizona. We've heard plans from several different leagues that could potentially have hubs or bubbles of sorts, and Arizona has been a place oft floated for that. Uh, Sports such as basketball and hockey have considered playing the remainder of their seasons in hubs with several teams playing in one location. So now that becomes at least a little more possible in Arizona, which will start to reopen and reopens with the possibility of pro sports this Saturday without, of course, fans in the stands. College is another place we have our eyes on, of course. NCAA President Mark Emmert said yesterday the NCAA won't mandate or oversee a uniform return to college sports, which is really interesting. Leaving decisions on when things can start up again to state officials and university presidents. Now, this makes sense because every state has different needs right now. But the non-uniform part makes it very interesting from a competition standpoint, because is that unfair for states that might open up sooner? 
College athletics, of course, coming to a halt back in mid-March when the NCAA canceled uh, the men's and women's basketball tournaments, no March Madness, along with all the remaining winter and spring championships. There's still no timetable for a return, and Emmert said it isn't the NCAA's role to determine one in this instance. He told ESPN, quote, normally there's an agreed upon start date for every sport, every season. But under these circumstances, now that's all been derailed by the pandemic, it won't be the conferences that can do that either. It will be the local and state health officials that say whether or not you can open and play football with fans. We already saw the Oregon governor offering her views on what's likely to happen in September. The Pac-12 can say, gee, we'd all like to open up on this date, but whether or not you can is going to be ultimately up to the state and local health officials and the campus itself making a decision whether or not they want to go forward. Earlier yesterday, uh, Pac-12 football coaches, uh, they were on a conference call. They expressed support for an NCAA-mandated uniform start to the season. Uh, including Jimmy Lake, Washington head football coach. He said Tuesday that he would prefer for all major college teams to begin six weeks of preparation for the season at the same time. He said, quote, I'm of the opinion it would be great if the NCAA made a blanket rule for the whole nation of when we would start. And I understood some states may be less hit by this than most. And I'm sure there's going to be some different opinions on this. In my opinion, I believe the NCAA should step in and say, okay, here's the date when everybody can start making it, you know, fair from the competition standpoint. Emmert saying that the NCAA's decision-making model during the pandemic is similar to that of the federal, state, and local governments. And their role is to, quote, provide guidance and support at this time. Meanwhile, the 23-school California State University system, they will remain primarily virtual, uh, doing their virtual online learning this fall as they continue to deal with the coronavirus pandemic like everyone else uh, across the globe. CSU Chancellor Timothy White made that official, though, on Tuesday. That raises questions about the ability for member schools to field athletic teams for the rest of 2020. Um, a joint statement from the Mountain West Commissioner, because, of course, this would affect football programs at San Diego State, Fresno State and San Jose State, all members of the Mountain West Conference. Um, but commissioner of that conference, uh, they got together and said all the conversations are led by academ- academics as well as public health and safety. And that's what went into this framework. As for the University of California system, that includes Cal and UCLA. They have not fully committed to the same step as CSU. But a spokesperson for the UC system told CBS Los Angeles, it's, quote, likely none of our campuses will fully reopen in the fall. So California might be leading the way on this. And it's possible that this leads uh, to their limiting their ability to field those sports teams, including college football this fall. We'll keep you up to date on that. Up next on the Blitz. You know, football, it's all virtual right now. The off-season program, Pete Carroll done a pretty good job of keeping it entertaining, according to Bobby Wagner. But Pete Carroll also continuing to entertain us. He, on the latest episode of the Flying Coach podcast, had some really interesting thoughts on multi-sport athletes. We saw that as a theme in this year's draft. Uh, those those players that have versatility to play multiple positions. What does it mean? How do they scout those players? And also the idea of analytics, incorporating them into the game. It's next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. 
Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Wednesday, May 13th. We're hanging out this morning. Pete Carroll has been doing a new podcast along with Steve Kerr, two of the great coaching minds currently in their respective sports in the NFL, in the NBA, taking time uh, to chat with sometimes some pretty cool guests, including Dave Roberts. This was actually last week's episode, but we've had so much we haven't really even gotten to it yet. And it was a cool discussion about several different things, including multi-sport athletes, how they, how important they are uh, to their individual programs and how they evaluate that talent, plus the use of analytics in games. So let's dig into this. Pete Carroll saying on the Flying Coach podcast that one of the first things that they evaluate and ask guys at the Combine is what sports did you play? Yeah, I think you guys would be surprised that like, and my coaches know this, that when we do our interviews with the players at the Combine or whenever we have guys visit or whenever I talk about you know, trying to figure out who the guys are. The first thing I ask them is what other sports did you play in school? And I want to know, you know, what kind of a player they were in that sport, you know? So I'll say, well, you know, what position did you play? And, uh, and you know, I'm looking for shortstops. I'm looking for guys who played down the middle. I'm looking for the pitchers, you know, and uh, if the guy played right field in little league, you know, okay, that tells me those big guys, you know, (laughs) know? and, and, uh, uh, but it it goes to that general awareness that you develop, which each sport has its unique ways about it, but they all fit together in some sense when it comes down to making the plays you got to make. And when it's time to, are you going to take the big turn or you're going for it? You know, <laughs> you know, how are you going to do it? You know, and uh, th- there's so much to that. And it, it allows me to paint a picture of what kind of a person this guy has become through his background, through his experiences. It's hugely important to me. Pete also mentioning Russell Wilson as a case in point, right? He His baseball skills, he believes they show up all the time on the football field. Yeah, he's worked out with the Yankees in the last couple of years at times in camp. He spent a couple of days, you know, and then they let him come on back. And He, he was a second baseman, and uh, it, it, it shows up all the time. It shows up all the time in, his, in the things that he chooses. He's such an extraordinary athlete, probably as close to a football baseball guy as anybody, you know, and, and uh, it's really part of his makeup. Pete Carroll also on his ability to connect with players and using every single moment and interaction as a possibility to spark that connection. Just try to keep bouncing. Just like you said, it's kind of like being the butterfly. You know, you you just keep bouncing around and use all the opportunities. Some of the, the moments, it's really in moments. It's like as you're waiting to go in the meeting room or another part of the segment of the team is in there and you're in the hallway. Those are important exchanges, yeah. you know, and, and find guys in the lunchroom, uh, you know, in the stress lines and, and just the in-between moments that we capture uh, are really crucial. You know, I know that it probably doesn't always make the guy feel great, but I'm feeling like I'm working at it, you know, and I'm yeah. trying to keep that relationship going because you need to love these guys up, you know, and because you don't in an instant, we need them to win the freaking game, you know, and right, so we want right. them right and primed. And so, uh, yeah, yeah it's, an, it's just an ongoing process to try to keep nurturing and, and you know, keep the connection. Pete Carroll also mentioning that uh, it's important to love up the back of the roster guys, too, and saying that he's a little bit envious that Steve Kerr has a smaller group of guys uh, to work with on a basketball roster versus a football roster, because that's really important to him. And then I thought also this comment is pretty significant. Pete Carroll asking the other guys in the room, Dave Roberts and Steve as well, if sometimes they play a guy because they know that this player needs to get into the game. Here's Pete. Can can you feel it like uh, when you're dealing with the guys that that there's just time sometimes you know you watch a guy you watch him handling 
the disappointment of not playing as much or the frustration of it. Do you find that at times you'll play guys just because you know they need it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with that too. You you have to find, find your way to, to keep them because we got to keep nurturing their mentality as best we can so they can stay strong and be ready and alert and ready for the, the opportunities and all. How about analytics, their incorporation into the game? I believe it was Baltimore uh, before the beginning of last season hiring four full-time analytics staff members, and you saw what they were able to accomplish last year. Now, that's also because they had an incredibly talented roster, but some of that talent evaluation, I'm sure, also aided by analytics, the acquisition of some of those players aided by that, as well as their in-game game-making decisions. Pete Carroll was asked whether he has an analytics person in his ear during the game. No, I don't I don't have him on, on the headphones with me, but I'm prepared throughout the time to, to look for the opportunities and the situations. And my guy that, that I lean on the most, uh, Brian Ayers, he'll, you know, he'll get to me a message if I need it during the game, what's going on, if the, the yeah. numbers or the stats are something that are important to us. But we've basically done the work ahead of time so that the game can flow and we're not, we're not back and forth with it. Right. Because I pretty much know how I, how we want to go. We want to be as aggressive as we can. We want to go for it whenever the opportunities are. You were right, Dave. Particularly back in the days at SC when we were really good, we'd go for it all the time because you, <laughs> you guys are going to make it. You know, they're going to, they're going to come through. Well, the, the league's a little more evened out. So there's, there's more decisions like that. Pete also saying that they want players to just react to the game and not be in their head too much, not be worried about analytics and saying you can coach them up a little too much. We have a concept that we use. Uh, we, we refer to it as player's mind. And uh, we're trying to, in all of our teaching and all of our coaching, we're trying to get the, the guy to get in the frame of mind where he's just playing the game. And I think it goes to exactly what you're talking about, as I interpret it, Dave, that you know, I, I, the player's mind to me is the reactive, responsive, natural uh, you know, in the game, in not in the stats, not in the numbers, not in the score, not in the the standings, not in the stats from whatever, and get them out of that. We can coach them so much that they're thinking about so many things that you can't flow and freely play yeah. like we were capable of playing. Finally, I think there was a great moment on the podcast of Pete and Dave connecting over baseball. Pete first saying that he grew up a Giants fan, huge fan. Of the say hey kid. Hey guys, I grew up as a, I an mean, absolute Giants fan. You know, I grew up with Willie Mays, man. I mean, it was like he to me is still my favorite guy in sports ever. You know, and just as a little kid watching that guy play, and you know, growing up in just across from San Francisco and all that. So uh, same thing, sitting in left field, you know, out there in the cheap seats, you know, and with the buddies as we're growing older, you know, and just those experiences and uh, it, the whole baseball thing for me really was all about the Giants. So there's there's a lot of crossovers. So Dave, of course, now the manager of the L.A. Dodgers, said that he used an opportunity to troll to troll Carol a little bit. Uh, he'll, he'll explain. I got a funny USC UCLA story. So obviously we, we know uh, Pete's background and me being a former Bruin myself. So there was a point in time when I pr- played for the Giants. I was Old club. There you go. fortunate enough to uh, have our equipment manager at UCLA send me down a Bruin helmet. So one of these games, Pete was at, you know, was sitting behind the third base dugout. I know. And uh, I came out of the game <laughs> and we had a good lead. So I, I felt a little levity <laughs> comedy was okay. And so I went into the clubhouse, grabbed my helmet, 
my football helmet, come back into the dugout. Pete's, you know, five rows behind the dugout. And then I had to rock my <laughs> UCLA helmet. So uh, I thought it was funny because uh, Pete uh, took it the way it was meant. So we had, we, we've always had our banter back and forth. Yeah, just a little, you know, UCLA versus USC uh, in-game trolling. I, I, I don't hate it. Up next on the Blitz, well, Pete spoke on Russell Wilson there and his versatility, but Russell Wilson's surprising 7-10 yesterday, just casually calling in uh, or dropping in on Tom, Jake, and Stacy. I'll play you that sound. It's pretty awesome. It's next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 645. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! Recent tweet from Pro Football Focus sparked a lot of discussion, but just outlined a reality that we'd know while here in Seattle. This was from May 11th, Pro Football Focus tweeting out a percentage of snaps in base defense in 2019. Seattle Seahawks, number one. Arizona Cardinals, number two. And the Seattle Seahawks sitting atop by a large margin, 69% of the time, nearly 70%. The Arizona Cardinals Next most at 38% and the NFL average 27%. Dave Wyman uh, yesterday talking about not saying that playing so much base D was good, but also making the case that it might have been the best option. The argument is not that their defense is bad or good. I don't think that it was good. It's the, the argument is compared to what? So, like, my wife this morning, okay, and she really could not give a crap about base defense versus nickel. Trust me. If you unscrewed the top of her head, what you would see is kitties and doggies and tennis rackets and, you know, and she used to run a business, but now those are the kinds of things that she's interested in. And she goes, oh, so what you mean is the base defense was least worst. I was like, that's exactly it. It's the least worst of the two. Does that make sense? Wyman also comparing nickel to base. There's a lot of things that, like, you can kind of just pick and choose and everything. And I kind of did this. But, like, you know, I was telling you about this the other day, that that first drive against the Niners on Monday Night Football. um, You know, there's a 12-yard gain. I'm like, who's in? Uh, Nickel. Nickel was in on that one. Oh, there's a pick nullified because of a holding penalty. Who was in? Nickel. Jamar Taylor. He he was the one that was in there. and then there's base defense, incomplete pass. Base defense, a four-yard run. Nickel is back in. Oh, it's pass interference. Uh, base defense is in. Oh, we got a sack from Trey Flowers. You know, um, I mean, it's just no gain on a run. I mean, if you went and compare, and Pete has those numbers. Also, Wyman picking out a particular game and instance that he watched and watching last year's Bengals game when he thought the analyst actually blamed base defense for an error that was more individual. But the one that interested the most was the one before that, the play before that. And that's the one where Archuleta says, you know, he basically blamed the whole thing on the base defense. Well, they were in base defense against 11 personnel, so that's a tight end and three wide receivers and one back. And they dropped back into this, like, loose man coverage is all I can 
best I can guess what it was. It was almost like all five underneath droppers were dropping kind of into like a, a zone underneath, and then they had one safety, you know, deep over the top, and that was um, Tedrick Thompson. And and on the linebacker side, coverage was fine, but then over on the other side, inexplicably, uh, Trey Flowers is on his guy. And then so is Bradley McDougal. And then he just decides to jump the outside guy, Trey Flowers guy. Why? Why did he do that? I have no idea. He just runs, vacates his zone. And then the guy catches it, and it's a 36-yard gain. And then Adam Archuleta comes on on uh, on the air and says, yeah, well, that's what's going to happen when you have this base defense in there. It had nothing to do with the base defense. I love hearing from Dave. Listen to him every day from 3 to 7 on Bob, Dave, and more. NCAA President Mark Emmert said yesterday that the NCAA won't be responsible for mandating or overseeing a uniform return to college sports and coming up with a decision. So that means decisions on start dates are left up to state officials and university presidents. College athletics coming to a halt back in mid-March. No March Madness this year. Also, all remaining winter and spring championships were canceled because of the evolving threat of the coronavirus pandemic and a lot of universities also taking their coursework online entirely virtually. There's still no timetable for a return, and Emmert said it isn't. It won't be the NCAA's role to determine one in this instance. Larry Scott, Pac-12 commissioner, saying uh, we won't play football if students aren't allowed back on campus. I don't believe we're going to play football if students can't be brought back safely to campus. I don't think we're going to treat student-athletes or football players as some special class. I don't think we've got the ability to quarantine them or put them in a bubble the way some pro sports might. Very different approach, of course, than what's going on in pro sports. Clay Helton, USC head coach, also on a Zoom conference video conference this week, saying they've had discussions about playing a Pac-12-only schedule in 2020. Yes, it's it's been discussed in our Pac-12 meetings, um, and it's been discussed by the commissioners that that is one of the the many structures uh, as we as we go through this situation and this crisis that uh, the possibility of a all conference schedule. Um, that's that is one of the structures under discussion, depending on where we are at, you know, six to eight weeks from now. But uh, those are those are viable discussions. And it has been brought up in our meetings. Watching The Last Dance has been so much fun and getting any mention of the Sonics has been so much fun. Uh, Start for basketball here in Seattle and also just having the haze of nostalgia all over it as well. Uh, we got to hear from George Carl this week. We saw the 96 Sonics featured in the eighth episode of The Last Dance and also hearing from uh, George Carl on the perceived slight by Michael Jordan, where he didn't say hi to him at dinner the night before. But uh, George Carl was like, Wait, we're going to play against each other. No fraternization. And uh, on giving the giving mo- MJ motivation, but George Carl spoke out yesterday saying that uh, MJ can make up any headline he needs. Does Michael Jordan really need to get fired up for the NBA Finals against and the first time he's playing in the Finals without his father? And I, I don't think he needed it, but that's that's who Michael is. He likes to have that. He likes to have that headline or that that thing that puts him at that high high level of intensity, and he did. Yeah, you know, and I guess I'm, I'm the guy that kicked it off. Give me the trophy. I also love this from Sam Perkins, former Sonic, talking about Jordan disrespecting everybody, but uh, he 
had a right to. It was Sonic and playing against the Bulls. I mean, they got us. And, yeah, it was disrespectful. But, look, Michael, if you knew all the answers to every question on the SAT, nobody could tell you nothing. And that's almost... And if you got like the perfect score, which which Michael played the almost like a perfect game, like nobody else. I mean, you could say and talk anything about anybody you want. Gary did go at him. I do remember that. Gary did, did not back down, like he said. And a lot of guys did fear Michael because of the fact of what Michael could do. But as you can tell in the, or throughout the series of the, the documentary, rather, um, he disrespected everybody. So. <laughs> It wasn't like a shock when he got to Gary. I like that, though. Every answer to the SAT questions. Russell Wilson taking some time to drop by Tom Jenkins. Stacy yesterday surprised them, which was pretty cool. Um, he also had some time to chat about how he's been spending time working with rookies. About two hours a day, Russ says. We obviously have our virtual meetings, but I'm going to, uh, in terms of the rookies, I, uh, I'm i on a group message with all the draft picks, so we're having a good time Uh getting those guys ready. I mean, we've spent a lot of time together, hours upon hours. Um, you know, I've been meeting with them for about two hours every day. Um, we've been putting the work yeah. in, so they're, they're way ahead, so it's been good. Russ also on the prospect of having training camp in another state. That was uh, as a possibility we've heard floated in recent days that uh, if they're not able to do it in Washington State, they could take it on the road somewhere else. And Russ saying they're willing to do that if that's what it takes. Well, obviously, you'd like to have it in Seattle, um, you know, but if that's what we got to do, that's what we got to do. Um, you know, we're on a mission to win a Super Bowl, and the whole point of us, you know, getting prepared is to win the whole thing. You know, I don't, I don't get dressed up to, to come in second place, you know, so you want to go out there and win. And so whatever we got to do uh, to make sure that happens, that's what we got to do. Jay keeps also spending some time with Russ in California and training, and he had a, t- his biggest takeaway from that. It's a sense of urgency that Russell feels. While I've been down here with Russ, one of the things that has really stood out to me is the urgency that I feel just from him and, and from everybody in that building is that, mm-hmm. look, I think they understand the window that they're in and the desire to get to a Super Bowl, I think, is, a, is look, it's the goal every year. But I think that the urgency to get that done is at an all-time high, and I think that that's a really good thing to have a player like Russell Wilson, you know, leading the way along with everybody else to feel like, hey, we have to be on, we have to be at our best, and we have to be making decisions and moves to help us be at our best. So I, I think that that's one thing that has really stood out to me. We learned from Arizona Governor Doug Ducey yesterday that pro sports could resume as early as this Saturday, May 16th, without, of course, fans in the stadium. Several pro sports have floated the idea, including uh, NBA and the NHL, of playing a remainder of the regular season in hubs of sorts, biospheres of sorts, with several teams playing in one location, including Arizona in a lot of those hypothetical plans. Um, But we'll see how soon that actually takes place. Seattle Mariners also announced yesterday that several employees working under uniform employee contracts will take a five-month reduction in pay, but that as a result of that, there will be no furloughs or layoffs through October 31st. Uh, The pay reductions of at least 20% are for staff making $60,000 or more. Uh, Also relates to the major league coaching staff, coaches and coordinators in the minor league system, scouts and performance coaches. Those with larger salaries are expected to take a cut more significant than 20%. So no 
layoffs or furloughs through October 31st for the Mariners. Major League Baseball and the MLB Players Association met Tuesday for several hours to begin discussing a potential return to play. This discussion yesterday, though, didn't involve any of the economic factors, a financial uh, discussion, the biggest point of contention expected to be uh, discussed in these in this litigation um, involving around player compensation. Yesterday, instead, they just discussed logistics uh, for the potential second spring training, spring training 2.0, some of those rule changes, uh, including the universal DH, the roster sizes, transaction rules. Also, how about health and safety? Yeah, that's kind of a big factor. The COVID-19 testing protocols, including contact tracing and response procedures in case of positive tests. Those will be a huge concern for players moving ahead. And Jeff Passan yesterday on the questions surrounding MLB's uh, testing capabilities and how they would react to positive coronavirus tests. The idea of Major League Baseball completely shutting down because of a positive test just is not realistic. If they get the engine going, they're going to keep it going unless something catastrophically bad happens. What they hope to do, I think, is mitigate the spread and hope that it doesn't go inside of a clubhouse and you have 15 players who end up testing positive and having to quarantine them because you want a representative major league team out there. And the idea that a contending team, if it gets hit with a massive case of COVID, is going to put a bunch of minor leaguers out there. I just don't know how realistic that is. And uh, that's a question that a lot of players want answered because they're going to be the ones and the coaches and the training staffs and the managers and the, the people who are going to be there every day. They're going to be the ones who ultimately are at risk here. So even after all the health and safety protocols are discussed, that economic question is the one that will loom uh, heavy. And we'll, we'll wait and keep you updated on that as well about the owner's proposition for revenue sharing, which the players have been pretty adamant. Tony Clark of the Players Association has been very adamant that they are not interested in. Uh, they view it as a salary cap and baseball that's never been part of baseball. So they will not agree to that. We'll keep you updated on those discussions and the potential return for baseball. But that is the wrap for the hot list and the entire Blitz at Six Hour. Danny and Gallant coming your way next right here on 710 ES. ESPN Seattle.